Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute was also influenced by Chris Corfus' presentation at the seminar, and that's the two-to-one brake squat. Similar to the brake squat, you want to make sure that the strap is long enough for you to get full extension all the way up in your toes. From there, give the wheel a spin and sink into the squat. When the tension is set, drive up as hard as you can to full extension. Pick up one of your feet and try to stop the strap as fast as you can without letting your heel hit the ground. Spin the wheel, try with the other leg. This is a great exercise that has awesome carryover to how you stop in your change of direction and agility work, and one that athletes will 100% see the correlation between how they move and the exercise. Give this one a try. I'm sure it's one that not only you'll love, but your athletes will enjoy as well. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Christine, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you doing this. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. But for, for everybody at home listening right now, let's give them a little intro. Who is Dr. Na? Where are you at? How'd you get out there? So my name is Christine Na. I am a doctor of physical therapy, uh, doctor of physical therapist um, for about three years. And um, I've also been competing nationally and internationally in Olympic weightlifting. So specifically competing in the snatch and the clean and jerk. So I've been doing that for about nine years um, and I've done medaled a few national meets. Um, still haven't quite, quite gotten the gold yet. You know, I'm still chasing for that. <laughs> But I've gotten a few silvers and bronzes, and I've also represented USA in about two international meets. Yeah. And it's not just like you walked in and all of a sudden were like, I'm going to be a weightlifter. This is a therapist who has a pretty extensive background in sport um, mm -hmm. and that got into weightlifting. Yeah. So, Pretty much, um, I grew up as a gymnast, and then from gymnastics, I did cheerleading, did cheerleading in college, go Gauchos, UC Santa Barbara, and then after I had to, you know, hang up my pom-poms, <laughs> I wanted to do something else with my body, and I came across uh, CrossFit, actually, uh, which was really cool and fun, but from CrossFit, I just learned about, you know, the Olympic weightlifting movements, the snatch and clean and jerk, and it just loved it so much that I only chose the workouts with those lifts in them. 
So it was like, I was already like gearing towards just specific Olympic weightlifting. So I went to this seminar to learn more about it. And they're like, you know, I think you have some potential, like, you know, why don't you try Olympic weightlifting full time? And so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll try it out. And then it's, you know, ever since then, you know, just fall in love with the sport and it just can't get let go of the barbell, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, other than when you finish the lift and you can just drop it, you know, and everybody's yeah. cheering. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. no, I think though, one thing that a lot of athletes have in common and a lot of things that drive people in a way to expand themselves and their careers and their education is actually like when they have the, the bad luck of being injured themselves. Oh, and, definitely. You know, you going through some of the issues you've had have had an impact on some areas of research and expansion that you've had in your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say I've had my fair share of <laughs> injuries. Actually, while I was still a student, um, a physical therapy student, uh, I was dealing with a pretty bad back injury. I was competing through it. I was training through it, still trying to go to school. And it was, it was really hard. It was to the point where, you know, my whole foot would go numb, uh, shooting pain down my leg, or uh, like I couldn't like just walk from a seated position, I would have to freeze for a little bit because it was so painful. Um, and then I think in hindsight, it was such a great eye-opener and learning experience for me and having to deal with it myself. Because at the same time, I tried, because I was a student, you know, I was still learning. I tried like all the other little things that like people tell you to do, right? Like, oh, you should do this, you should stretch that, or let's try this, let's try that. And um, none of it really worked. It actually kind of made it worse in a way where like, where, you know, people would suggest things for me. But when I actually uh, learned about how to properly move and breathe, you know, and change that completely, um, that's when I actually started to feel better. And of course I had the wonderful guidance of like my professors and other physical therapists that helped me through it. So, yeah. So then let's get into that a little bit more because as people will see either today as this comes out, like right before this gets released or this week, you'll be presenting on that at this spring's virtual seminar. So we're talking about the, the power of the belly and working our way from the middle out. So let's yeah. talk about some of the things that Christine experimented with and learned with and some of the positive benefits that she saw from those things in relation to movement equality improving and the lifts improving. Yeah, so um, it really shows how important breathing properly is when you're moving functionally and also lifting weights. Like the great thing about my experience is that when you're an Olympic weightlifter, you're literally trying to be the strongest, the most explosive person you can ever be. And you know, with other sports, there's a lot of skill as well. Um, but like Olympic weightlifting, that, that's like the epitome of that, right? Cause you're literally trying to lift as much weight overhead with as much efficiency, right? And 
from that experience, I have to really know how to control my trunk and learn how to create that tension, that solid like cylinder trunk. And that along with being able to breathe properly, you know, is very crucial. And I think if everyone kind of knew how to create that, would it would just be such an eye opener for athletes to just improve their power development, um, transfer, yeah, pretty much transfer power from like the leg up, you know, from pitchers to uh, football linemen to anyone to a gymnast, anyone can really get some benefit, you know, from learning how to do this. So I think it's just a really cool topic. And I love teaching about it to my patients as well. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the whole idea of training the core is one that gets, it gets a bad rap because it mm-hmm. gets maybe pushed a little further towards the therapy realm mm-hmm. than in the weight room realm. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that we're seeing from a world-class lifter that it's that important, then maybe some of these smaller movements really do have a greater impact than what Mm. people at times give them credit for yeah and that's the thing though like the squat can be a trunk exercise the deadlift is a trunk exercise it's just learning how to do it properly and breathing properly um, creating that brace properly because once you are able to do that when you do those lifts you feel it in your trunk you feel it in your core and it feels great like it feels awesome it's like oh it's not hurting my back I actually feel my obliques working with me while I'm pulling the bar you know and um I personally just love that feeling so I like to share it (laughs) with everyone (laughs) no and I think that you know when you do find something that you're passionate about that's what we all want to do right is pass that on and show it and, and look at those things So then when you look at people perform one of those, whether it be the squat or the deadlift, what are some things you're looking at to make sure that you're seeing that these things are occurring so that you can progress them to be able to do the bigger lifts? Yeah, so I would say movement analysis is pretty important. You have to really see how they move and what their habits are. Um, before even looking at the squat, I would actually just generally see how they are in standing posture, sitting posture, just, just keep an eye out of like, okay, this is where their, um, baseline is right. And then from there, I look at the squat mechanics from, you know, the front, the side, the back and looking at, you know, are the hips and the knees hinging properly and in a timely manner are they working together you know because sometimes uh athletes have a tendency to be a little shifty towards the anterior portion or the posterior portion or they just uh, there's a little disconnect there so again you you commonly hear like you know they're quad dominant versus posterior dominant right um i also kind of see their trunk as um it's descending and ascending is it does it stay in neutral? Like, do they even know what neutral position is? Sometimes they don't know. Um, And sometimes the deeper they go into the squat, it deviates a lot from neutral spine. And so their tension and that brace is kind of diminished, right? 
um, also from the frontal plane, like are the knees tracking over the feet properly? You know, there are people who are obsessed with valgus collapse, but it's, you know, being overly varus is also bad too. I mean, they're not both like, I would say, hmm, this is kind of a controversial conversation, but I don't think dynamic valgus or varus is always bad, right? We have to be able to tolerate those positions sometimes, especially when you're out on the field and you get pushed around into crazy positions because it's a contact sport. Like our bodies are resilient. It should be able to be in these positions, but is that, can the athlete control it? Is the hip and the foot working together to get into a position and come out of that position? And that's like a really important aspect that a lot of people miss, I think. Um, instead of like strictly seeing perfect form. Uh, that's, I'm going on a little tangent here now, but. <laughs> no, I think that's great though. Cause I think that, you know, especially strength coaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, really society in general right now, right? Like we just want to be able to sit here and point and just be like, that is bad. That is bad. This is bad. Mm -hmm. And like, People love to talk about valgus being like, if it happens, like your knees are literally going to explode like the Death Star. Yeah. But if for everyone that works in college basketball, like every one of us sits here and is like, that's like how 80% of kids shoot jump shots. So like there should be a sport that everyone plays basically through their knees they should have people that never have had knees because that's how they do the main action to score the ball. Yeah. So to hear a, a therapist say that, now, I'm okay, full disclosure, neither of us are saying that you should be doing like huge altitude landings and having this happen, but like right. maybe we try to villainize things a little bit too extensively instead of really understanding the why because you yeah. see like a lot of high level lifters mm -hmm. in that transition in the squat after the catch mm -hmm. they valgus a little bit oh yeah you see it uh, everywhere yeah yeah and of course like we always have this ideal right the anatomy poster that you see in the anatomical position and you, you, we always have that ideal for what the joints are supposed to do what we are supposed to do a, a, in movement but again I think it's that's why therapy and strength training is such an, a science and an art because we're all a little different we're all uh, developed a little bit different and and that's okay and that's where you know the clinician or the the coach really has their expertise that's the side that's really important right someone can you know memorize a textbook but the experience of working with different athletes different sizes different capabilities like i think um, having that experience is huge for sure yeah oh yeah and it's it's really interesting to me when you get into those spots because 
especially like in college when, when, and now with this new rule, like we're going to have kids that are six years older than a freshman. Mm-hmm. Like when you have people coming back. So even all the way from the physiological aspect down to the biomechanical aspect, there's taller guys and shorter guys. Mm-hmm. There's people who are more aerobic and people who have weaker aerobic systems. There are people who respond differently to strength training than they do sprinting or whatever it may be. And trying to have a if P then Q response is very hard Mm -hmm. because where, and I think it was Andy Galpin that said this on one of our podcasts, people love to look at studies and say, like these things are, are like the rule, right? Yeah. But it's always done to the mean. Mm-hmm. Like it's always just done to the, the people in the middle. Like we don't deal with people in the middle. We deal with people all over the place. Totally. Yeah. So by the way, out those are hard. he uh, took a chunk of my uh, quad muscle for a, a study a few years ago. Yeah, so. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hi, Dr. Galpin, if he ever listens to this, but, uh, <laughs> I bet a biopsy would hurt. Uh, it was a little uncomfortable. Honestly, the numbing injection was more uncomfortable than the actual puncture. The puncture was like, oh, well, okay. Like you took a chunk out of my quad. All right. <laughs> but it didn't, I didn't feel much pain. Yeah. It was the, it was actually the numbing injection that I felt more. <laughs> So then let's get back a bit to the, <laughs> the idea of, of the weightlifting and how, lack of a better term, you put yourself back together mm-hmm. to be able to continue your trajectory upward. Yeah. So, you know, I think I just learned how, again, we did talk about, you know, different movements that are outside the ideal but it's really important to train the ideal okay and that's what i had to do in order to get back to weightlifting and this was post-surgery where i I had all-time prs that led me to um qualify for international competitions so again for athletes and coaches out there like who go through maybe a big injury like it's not over like you can do it you know, I've done it and you can do it. But, um, but again, movement training, the ideal movement is still important, I will say, and that, and especially for the trunk and learning how to, again, create that solid trunk and breathing. Uh, we call it intra-abdominal pressure is I think so important. And this is something that, uh, I teach with a lot of my athletes. And once they kind of learn it improves their performance overall too and it, and it's not just like in the weight room too it's what you do every day when you're sitting when you're looking at your phone when you're driving like being more aware of how you are using your trunk because oftentimes that gets lost in our society yeah and then um so it took pretty much relearning everything like how to control my body pretty much since my surgery. And um, I think it took maybe a full year for me to come back to my 
original numbers and then PR after that. Did that answer your question? <laughs> no, 100%. And I think yeah. that what is cool about that story is that, at least to me, is I think that one thing that a lot of strength coaches would say is it's kind of an unwritten rule that you have to be able to have done and experienced what you're going to program and how you're mm -hmm. going to prescribe things to really understand what it is so that you can mm -hmm. figure out how it feels, this, that, and the third with all that. But more so like how you can change it, you know, mm -hmm. based on other things and how you can teach people it better. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, for the young people listening now, spoiler alert, when you get older, it gets harder to do that. Um, but I think that that's a situation kind of like what you were going through, where having this sort of personal test subject to better understand and learn and take ways that you learn them and mm -hmm. pass them on, not just to your patients, but also to other people in a teaching sense. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like to go over what you should look for when you see an athlete like breathing or bracing. Um, I like to go over like the anatomical positions of like where, where you should look at the rib cage versus the hip and how, um, what the ideal should look like. And if it's not ideal, like the common deviations, right? Someone who like, for example, um, a case like myself or other previous like uh, dancers or gymnasts, we were taught to kind of like suck in our abdominals uh, as a part of our sport. And um, for power development, that's not the ideal. So like, you can kind of see that sometimes um, you can kind of see the other way around where you know the there's too much uh intra-abdominal pressure so they're the you call it diastasis like there's like a little bit of an opening maybe in the the front of the abdomen like around the belly button where like the the muscle or stretch kind of bulges out a little bit and that's that's the weakening of the abdominal wall and then like learning how to kind of turn that off um, and then again, the breathing as well, like, are they diaphragmatically breathing or are they chest breathing? And what do each of those look like, right? Because some athletes can do that pretty well when they're just hanging out, laying down on their stomach, but once they start moving, it, it might completely change, right? They might just all breathe from their chest. And then, so their trunk is not as engaged and whatnot. Yeah, and it's great because these are a lot of things too that because of at times that line being a bit translucent, you know, breathing has become something that coaches like to talk about and mm. teaching people how to do things, you know, whether it's, you know, even as far down as like a PRI type thing. Um, mm -hmm or trying to train the respiratory muscles like Doc Yeses talks about to mm -hmm. really help people be able to pull in more and get rid of more, you know, each breath. It, it's something that as a, as a subset of all skills mm -hmm. has an important impact into everything. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And even when you're looking at like safety with other joints and protection with other joints outside of just like your midsection. Yeah, because if the trunk is off, the rest of the, you know, alignment of the, you know, the scapula and the hip can be a little bit off too, right? Because it's compensating. So you have to kind of see that too. That's what I also like to look at, you know, when a patient is um, going through like a, a shoulder injury or sometimes like an elbow injury or a knee injury, like, oh, like how is their trunk, you know, and during that movement as well? Like, is that in a solid position? And sometimes when we go over it and, and fix that trunk position, it already helps the, those areas of the joints that they're having experiencing pain. So it's really cool to see. <laughs> yeah, because you know sometimes where the problem is is not where the issue is being shown. Yes, correct. And that's just unfortunate for a lot of people because you know no matter what the modality is being used for treatment, mm -hmm. just because it's your shoulder that hurts, your knee hurts. Like at this point, you would hope people are well versed that that doesn't mean that it's just because your knee hurts or your shoulder hurts. Yeah, it's you know, the like, movement too. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. you mentioned the elbow. Like, it's, it's how often do people have elbow pain, but it's something wrong with their upper back or their shoulder or something oh. like that where it dissipates? You know, it's it's yeah. so common and it all the time doesn't stop there. It goes all the way back into what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that just is. Um, That's intriguing how it all comes back to that and how I think it's really cool that having yourself being one of the people that's gone through it, mm -hmm. giving you that unique perspective. And that's one of the things I'm really excited about for the fifth is that, you know, Antonio literally just wrote the book on what he's going to be talking about. Yeah. And having Kareem as someone to talk about how to evaluate these things with mm -hmm. what everything he does with the force plates and now having you with us as well how you can use these exercises to improve power outputs in as you said mm -hmm. the sport that requires the most power of any of them yeah um yeah we're lucky and Tony and I we kind of um banter and you know, argue with each other a lot, <laughs> you know, because I, I come from like, you know, I'm still like a competitive athlete and a physical therapist and he's a CSCS coach. He's, he's done that. He has tons of experience being a coach. And so we always go into these debates and then we also experiment a lot. And um, one of the things that we do have a force plate with us, right? So one of the things I do really want to test is like um, how intra-abdominal pressure can change you know, power output. And I'm sure we can find, you know, good correlation there. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun to like be my own case study. You know, I've been my own case study for my back. And I mean, I wasn't alone. I had a lot of great therapists and other professors who really helped me and showed me the way and treated me as well. So I didn't do it alone, but it was, it's also very insightful of when you also go through 
that pain and go through that, you know, that injury and frustrations that come with it. And yeah, I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> well, he won't have to hear this, but we know you're the one winning the arguments, right? Like that's how this is probably going to go. <laughs> no, Antonia jokes like she's always right. She's just right. Just say that she's right. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess um, it's a little bit biased, but then uh, no, he, he has really good points. I, I let him win too. He has really good points. He knows his stuff. I say oh, that, that I'm he, sure. I say that he's scary smart. Like it's kind of scary of the amount of uh, memory retention he has. <laughs> with a lot of the knowledge he teaches. Yeah. yeah. More yeah. than I, I do, I possess, I feel like. <laughs> well, I'm excited for some of that back and forth in the discussions that we're gonna have on the fifth, because, you know, looking at how you express it versus how you, I guess, lack of a better term, how you can contain it through, yeah. you know, the stuff that you're talking about and building and, and, and working on. Uh, and then having Kareem in there with like, this is how we can look at that and identify these things. I think is going to be really awesome. And uh, I'm really excited to have you as part of it. And this is a great 30 minutes. I'm really happy that we got to sit down and, and chat today, Christine. Thanks so much for spending yeah. the time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, fired up for the fifth and we will see you yeah. really soon. Yeah, we're going to chat a lot. We're going to yes, learn a lot. Will. So it'll be yeah. good. It'll yeah. be a blast. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Cheers.